All right, let's go ahead and just read Genesis chapter 1, and uh, then we'll come back and, and um, do our review and then make some comments about it. <clears throat> In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light and it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Then God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. Then God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together in one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called the seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed was in itself on the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields each according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed in itself according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. And so the evening and the morning were the third day. And God said, Let the lights be in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years, and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. And God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmaments of the heavens. And God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves, which is uh, with which the waters abounded according to their kind. And every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to its kind, cattle and creeping things, and creeping thing and beast of the earth each according to its kind, and it was so. God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let's make man in our own image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, <clears throat> and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given green herb for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So evening and the morning were the sixth day. Genesis chapter 1 introduces us to some things that we cannot take for granted. But before we talk about those things, let's talk about our review that we did last week. Uh, the four great events that occur in Genesis chapter 1 through 11. There are four key events that Genesis centers around chapters 1 through 11. Anybody remember? What's the first one? We, 
creation. What's the second one? The fall of man in Genesis 3. And what's the next one? The flood, the great global worldwide flood, Genesis 6 and 7. And the fourth great event Genesis centers around Babel. Okay? Creation, fall, flood, Babel. Those are the four key events of Genesis. Okay? Beginning in chapter 12, you have four key men that Genesis follows, beginning in Genesis 12, going all the way through the, uh, Genesis chapter 50. What are those four key men? Abraham or Abram, same person. What's the second one? Who's the second one? Isaac, third one. Jacob and Joseph, A+. plus. Excellent. As it follows these four key events uh, in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, chapter 12 becomes a turning point to where God focuses on a singular individual to follow as far as the promise goes. Okay? So when you have uh, Genesis chapter uh, 12, through 20, uh, 12 through 50, rather, you've got the four key men that it follows their life. And it's almost like uh, a relay race to where Abram starts running. And then later on in his life, he passes the baton off to Isaac. And then Isaac starts running. He passes it off to his youngest son, Jacob. And Jacob passes it off to uh, Joseph, beginning in Genesis chapter 37. So you follow this race. You follow these, uh, these names all the way through Genesis because these are the ones that the Lord wants us to pay attention to as we study this book. Good? But as we talk about Genesis chapter 1, um, we're still in the great, one of the great events of Genesis, and that is the creation. We're going to outline Genesis chapter 1 <coughs> centered around God speaking. God speaking. Okay? So if we take just the first couple of verses of Genesis, we're going to call this Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, before God speaks. Before God speaks. The most famous words of Scripture are probably Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. Remember that in the beginning, God, we have the word Elohim, which is a term of God's sovereignty, of his universal majesty, that right there at the very start of everything that we know, all of our creation, everything physical, elemental in our lives and in this world, God was there. God is the one, the acting force upon all of uh, everything that we know. And you find that in, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's a, really a simplistic explanation of how we got here. You know, a man by the name of Herbert Spencer, I think we mentioned this in our uh, creation evidences class in this, um, in this class when we did last fall. A man by the name of Herbert Spencer about the mid-1800s, he was a contemporary of Darwin. Remember that he was outlining and saying there need to be five things in order for uh, there to be a start of anything. He said there has to be time, there would have to be force, there would have to be action, there would have to be space and matter. Therefore, if I wanted to get a ball rolling in a particular direction, I would have to start with the time period in the beginning. I would have to have a force. What's going to move that ball forward? Um, action, what would be the direction? What would be the, uh, the consequence of that ball beginning to roll? Space, where would you put the ball? And ultimately, matter, what would you have to put it in? Where would the ball roll? And Herbert Spencer famously uh, mentioned these five things right uh, in the mid-1800s, but note that the biblical writer put that down on the very first stroke of the page. In the beginning, what is that? That's time. In the beginning, God. What is that? That's force. In the beginning, God created. What is that? That's his action. In the beginning, God created the heavens 
There's the space and the earth. What is that? That's the matter. Interesting that Genesis uh, begins automatically in the downbeat and the brightest minds of our age, the most intelligent, I guess, or the most educated is a good way to say it, are still looking into the mysteries of the universe and saying, we don't know how we got here. You know, Psalm 14, 1 verse, uh, said, the fool is said in his heart, there is no God. Earth was without form, that is empty and void. It was a desolate waste, a formless chaos, a void space. There was nothing useful, there was nothing beautiful about it. I kind of think about a lump of silly putty. Um, and in the, in the beginning, there's just this, this mass, this void, and the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters. As God, so to speak, comes into his workshop, what's the first thing that you do that you have a workspace? What's the first thing you need to do when you go in there? What's the first thing that's helpful to do? Pull the little light bulb. God said, let there be light, and there was light. When we talk about before God speaking, I want to understand, again, theologically what was going on here before, before it was that God ever chose to spoke. Number one, realize this, that God is sovereign. God has his place in everlasting sublime glory before he ever begins to speak this world into existence. Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2, O Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. From everlasting, uh, before the earth was ever brought forth or before you'd ever formed the world, you were God. Before um, ever you'd brought these things into existence, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God had his place in this divine sovereignty before it was that he ever began to create this world and all that's in it. Note this also. God had an understanding before the creation, before the foundation of the world, before the downbeat of Genesis chapter 1, he knew that mankind would disappoint him. He knew that mankind would choose that which was evil in his sight. You look at the great in the beginning chapters and in the before the foundations of the world uh, chapters of the Bible where it talks about what God knew and what God was doing and how God was thinking. And you're going to find again and again and again, folks, we didn't catch God off guard. He knew exactly how mankind would disappoint him, and he still chose to create us. Understand this also. God knew from the very beginning that redemption was needed. That redemption was needed. Titus chapter 1 verse 2, we usually go there to talk about the fact that God is trustworthy. God cannot lie. But as Paul opens this letter, Paul says that God, in hope of eternal life, which he promised, who cannot lie, promised before time began. God had made this promise. God had said, this is what I'm going to do, and this is how that I'm going to redeem mankind. And he had purposed that before he ever uh, established the foundation of the world, or before it was that he got the ball rolling as far as time goes. <coughs> Excuse me. Number four, God purposed that he himself would pay the price for man's redemption. God had purposed that he himself would pay the price for man's redemption. Peter, talking to strangers, to pilgrims in this world, in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20, said he, Jesus, was indeed foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. God said, here's my plan. 
this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to establish a way that man can be free from sin, and I myself, the second person of the Godhead, the creative force of the universe, Colossians chapter 1, is going to be the one that's going to pay the price for sin. Before God ever spoke, God purposed that he was going to give us that eternal life in Jesus Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm going to do my best not to cough into the microphone. I apologize about that if, uh, if I forget. So, God purposed that he was going to give us eternal life in Christ Jesus. As he purposes all of those things before the foundation of the world, again, it's not anything that God was caught off guard by. It wasn't anything that he was not expecting as far as our behavior goes, as far as uh, mankind's um, choice to sin. But he began to, um, uh, to create All right, so this is before God speaks. Second part of this that we're going to do, and again, if I, these, uh, we're moving too fast for you, if you need to, to get these, just email me and I'll be glad to email you the outline or um, certainly the, uh, the PowerPoint if you feel like that would be helpful. Number two, this is when God speaks. When God speaks. This is chapter 1, verses 3 through 25. The majority of this chapter is God speaking and things happening. As you look at God beginning to speak, what you're going to find is that there is a pattern that emerges. And perhaps you've already picked up on it. Perhaps um, it's, well, it may be very, very obvious to you here in this, um, in this chapter. God speaks, God says, and it was so, and God saw it was good. God speaks. It was so, and God saw it was good. Just looking at those three phrases occurring again and again and again, all the way through Genesis chapter uh, 1, even down through uh, verse 29. Look at in your Bible how many times it says, literally, God said, Elohim, the sovereign, the majestic God, uh, what it is that he's saying. Verse 3. And God said, verse 6, and God said, verse 9, and God said, verse 11, and God said, verse 14, and God said, verse 20, and God said, verse 24, and God said, verse 26, and God said, verse 28, and God said, verse 29, and God said. But as God says, things are happening. It's funny to me that... <laughs> When I speak in words of instruction and in words of command, sometimes those things don't happen. Kids, clean your room. Okay. <laughs> and come back a little later. Why is this room not clean? I told you this is what I wanted. This is my will as you know, head of the household. <laughs> this, this room is driving me nuts. This, I'm, again, speaking hypothetically, not that this has ever happened, but you understand. But there's things that you can say sometimes expecting that that's going to happen, and we can be disappointed. Was there ever a time in Genesis chapter 1 that God spoke something to the elements or the uh, creation where he said, and nothing happened? Yes, no, maybe so? No, there wasn't. You see, again, the sovereignty of God. You see him being uh, enthroned in this majestic nature to where everything in creation, everything in the universe bends its will towards his. Again, not that everything has a will, but everything is subject. Let's say it like that. Everything is subject to him and his sovereign will. But also notice this. 
that again and again and again, after every single day of creation, you have, and it was good. It was so, but it was also good. God being divinely and intrinsically good. God is love, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8. As God creates things, he's creating them inherently good. Ever thought about what kind of world this would be if after day two or day three and God saw that it was bad, it was very, very bad? You suppose we'd still be here? You suppose that we would still have a place on a planet that was inhospitable towards life? Or that was inhospitable towards things that are good? As God creates, you see that he's creating things not as far as trying to trip people up, trying to irritate and trying to annoy or trying to see how close he can get us to death, but it's God providing for us as his creation a place where we can dwell and where we can flourish and where we can thrive because that's the nature of who he is. God saw, God said, and it was so, and God saw that it was good. There is a wonderful result when God puts his hand, so to speak, to the creation and towards all that's in it. There's a pattern that emerges. What you also notice is that in, when God speaks, there is a praise that's outpoured. There's a praise that's outpoured. Job chapter 38, verse 7. Job, often regarded by scholars to be the oldest book of the Bible. Um, it's, a lot of people believe that uh, Job might have been a contemporary with Abraham, maybe uh, prior towards Abraham. But we find that he was offering um, um, patriarchal sacrifices for his children. That was uh, something in particular about the age that Abraham lived in. But note, as God begins to question Job, and God begins to uh, talk to him in Genesis chapter 38, or excuse me, Job chapter 38, verse 7, God asked this question of Job, which is worthy of our consideration. He said, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth, when the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy? As God creates, and as God creates and has all of the elements subject to his will, and as God creates all those things that are subject to his will, and he creates them good, you have all of the host of glory, the sons of God here uh, in, this, in this context, that are cheering him on, that are shouting for joy as God creates it. Look at the times in Scripture where it has the heavenly elements and the heavenly beings Shouting for joy, singing for praise, singing for joy. Anybody think of an instance when that happened? Or instances? I think about Luke chapter 2. Shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping a watch over the flocks by night. And suddenly there was a, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying... Glory to God and peace on earth, goodwill towards men, right? You've got the angelic beings, angelic uh, um, uh, spiritual beings that are shouting for joy and crying for joy for 
Why? What was happening in Luke chapter 2? Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 2, excuse me. It's the birth of Jesus. What do we find in the book of Revelation? Yes, sir. Don's going to digress for us, so I appreciate that. All right. So, uh, Revelation, when you have God um, that's sitting there sovereign on his throne in Revelation chapter 4, and ultimately, um, John, uh, John chapter, excuse me, Revelation chapter 5, John sees there's a scroll in his right hand, and there's not anybody worthy that's found to open the scroll, and John begins to weep. And it is that somebody comes and says, wait a minute, the lion of the tribe of Judah can open it. John turns, he sees the lamb. Lamb comes and takes the scroll out of the hand. And what are they seeing? Worthy is the lamb. They're crying praise. Why? Because of salvation. Because the lamb finds himself to be worthy. You find that the angelic beings, the spiritual hosts and the heavenly places are the ones that are lauding and praising God for what it is that he does here in creation. Go ahead, Don. Okay. All right. So Don says that, uh, and again, it's. Uh, Don brings our minds back to the scripture here in Genesis chapter 1. said the day 2 was the only day that it didn't say uh, God said that it was good. He asked if I wanted to go into that, and I'm going to say no. All right, so uh, point number 3. There's a progression that unfolds. There's a progression that unfolds. Note how logically and orderly creation falls. Okay? <coughs> Genesis chapter, uh, excuse me, uh, 1 verse 3. Day 1, you have the creation of what? God made light when there was none. Okay? There's a separation of light and darkness. The light is day, the darkness is night. Evening and morning were the first day. Then after once the light's on, verses 6 through 8, day 2, what does he do? He takes the expanse of heaven and he says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take these waters and we're going to make a separation to where the waters stay in one place and the sky stays in another place. We're going to divide this. We're going to put the waters down here and the expanse of the firmament up above. And so um, there's that separation. You've got the space and you've got uh, the water. Day three, let's look over here at the waters. They're all staying in one place. They're separated from the sky. Now we're going to divide and put the waters in one place. And what's going to occur after that? Dry land. Exactly. Then we're going to turn our attention here to day four, verses 14 to 19. And we're going to look at the expanse. What's going to give the difference between day and night? What's going to give the difference between light and darkness? Well, here's a greater light, the sun which uh, is, is strangely now in the garvel's eyes over here, which was uh, a couple months ago. It was sitting right over here where, about where Lonnie is. But you find that the sun is there to rule the day. You have the lesser light, which is what? The moon to rule the night. And almost as an afterthought, he creates the stars also. You can gaze millions and millions of light years into the universe, into the depths of space. Strange to me that that's just kind of a afterthought as far as um, what God says here on, 
uh, day, um, where are we at? Day four. Uh, and then uh, verse 15, he, and he's created the stars also. Sorry, um, verse 16, verse 16, he created the stars also. After that, let's take a look, day five. We make the vegetation, we make all of the, uh, um, uh, the waters abound with loving creatures, skies abound with, with birds. Um, this is the first time that God blesses. God blesses these, and the purpose of God uh, for these living things in their animation is reproduction. Be fruitful and multiply. Note that also in this pattern, God says, be fruitful and multiply, and every living creature produced what? After its own kind. Again, flying in the face of what we're told in our science classes. Because at one time, there was only one organic thing. There was only one organic thing in a little Petri dish. But that unorganic thing began to produce, not after its kind, but produced all the animal life and all the plant life and all the human life and all the fish life and all the bird life and all of that other stuff. But what we see in nature is that when you have a cat that has kittens by another cat, you're never going to have to worry about what that cat's going to produce. That cat's always going to produce after its kind. When it is that you have a plant that uh, you plant a seed in the ground and it's, I know it's a pumpkin seed. I don't ever have to worry about the pumpkin seed producing something other than a pumpkin. Because that's the way God purposed it. We're not evolving the way that evolutionists would tell us that we're evolving. We do adapt. We do change to our environment. But we're always going to produce after our kind. That's the way God made it. Day five, you have these uh, uh, waters uh, with the fish and the birds with the, uh, birds with the air. Day six. Sorry, day five was verses 20 to 23. <coughs> day six, part one, is God creating all the creeping things that creep on the earth. Uh, the cattle, all of the uh, animals that live that are, are, uh, are uh, land-based. Verses 25 and 26, that's part one. All right? But again, that limitation, that product of limitation, I jumped, jumped the gun on this point. But here's God speaking, and God speaking and saying, let each one of you produce after its kind. Again, not an afterthought, not something that God was caught off guard by, but something God purposed all the way from the very first. By the way, um, anybody know generally when science discovered that life produces after its kind? Only after its kind. Eighteen sixty-four, man by the name of Louis Pasteur, right? We have milk that's pasteurized. Um, <laughs> Louis Pasteur was uh, doing experiments, and he discovered this scientific law that life comes from life, and that only after its kind. Eighteen sixty-four. What's Genesis chapter one doing with this way back here at the very start of the Bible? Interesting to think about. Day six, part two. We'll call this one when God crowns. When God crowns. God said, verse 26, the very first conversation that doesn't revolve around him speaking to creation. 
God said, the first dialogue within the collective Godhead, let us. Remember, we've mentioned all the way back from Genesis 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God. Anybody remember what the uh, Hebrew word for that God is? Elohim. That is a plural term. In the beginning, God. It is singular, but it's reference to a plural being. And so God speaking and saying, let us. Here's a singular being acting, but speaking in plural terms. Let us create man in our own image. Okay, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the, over the cattle, over all the earth, every, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God crowning man in this, as Jesus is the creative force, the living word of God, Colossians 1 God the Father, God uh, the Son, God the Spirit. These are the first words that are not directed at speaking things into existence. But God looking at these things and speaking and talking about the way that he wanted this being to occur and appear. He says, we want this man to be in our image according to our likeness. And so he created them. <coughs> Excuse me. And so as God creates this role for man, Again, he tells him, I want you to do the same thing as the animals. I want you to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. But what he tells man that's different than the animals is you have dominion over the earth. What does that mean? There's a rule that's involved. There's a uh, responsibility to subdue, to put under subjection all of the earth. And God gives him everything. Now, Man sits as an advanced being above the rest of the earth. Oh, gorillas are never going to go to the zoo to see man. They're just not. Fish are never going to go into the terra sub cars to visit us on land. Animal, animals go on being animals as they have since they've been created. You know, we can still hunt. We can still fish. We can still weed eat. Nature doesn't evolve to defend against man the way that scientists tell us and thank the father that that's the case <laughs> not true you know deer are never going to go out in the woods and hunt jim uh, i appreciate that you know hiking in the woods you're never going to encounter a uh, weed with shark teeth or fire ants that have been involved into rattlesnake venom with and, and their stingers as god created this world and created it very good he did so with man being the crowning achievement of his creation but also realize that as man goes off and subdues creation, there's also a caution in there to say, be careful. Be careful. Because we will, on those nature trails, encounter snakes. We will encounter fire ants. We will encounter things that may be dangerous to us, but we've got a responsibility and we've got this challenge and this, this charge to go into fill the earth and to subdue it. Something to think about. Questions or comments about any of these points that we've made so far? Going once, going twice. All right, last one. When God rests. We'll go ahead and cover chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, because this is concluding the creation week. 
Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work which he had done. God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because he rested from all his work which God had made, uh, created and made. Here is God when God rests. He stopped, ceased his labor. He uh, stopped working and he blessed this day. He sanctified it and he set it apart. Rest here is that God, again, ceased from labor. It was not relaxation. It wasn't rejuvenation. It wasn't God being tired from his creation. It was him setting the example for the way it was that he wanted, um, well, people to behave. Not that it would become a mandatory day of ceasing until it was that he would command Israel that said uh, in the Ten Commandments, commandment number four, Exodus 20, you hold on to the Sabbath day, you hallow it, you keep it sacred, okay? Um, you make this Sabbath day, you remember it, you keep it holy. This is a mandatory day of stopping to setting down the tools, to laying aside the labor and focusing on, well, spending time with family in worship of the Almighty and spending time with the family and, and, and focusing on Him, okay? Do we have a Sabbath today, a Sabbath rest? Okay, we have a day of worship, the Lord's Day, uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 7, the disciples gathered together on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day, um, Revelation chapter 1, John was in the spirit on the Lord's day. There is a day of worship, which is Sunday, the day that Christ rose from the dead. But is that the Christian Sabbath? It's not. It's not. There's nothing in the New Testament that calls Sunday the Christian Sabbath. Do we have a Sabbath rest for us, though? Sorry? Ahead. Look over at Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. The Sabbath was given for a specific purpose to the Jews to observe. And that was that in the midst of a very corrupt and a very um, worldly culture, that the Jews would be seen as different. That people could see that they weren't working seven full days a week and being um, consumed with consumerism or being consumed with market and uh, being consumed with work. In fact, uh, what do we say that the Greeks um, thought that the Jews were lazy because they took a holiday every week? <laughs> wonder what they think about us, right? That have the weekend, that uh, Saturday and Sunday, we don't, uh, we don't uh, labor per se like the rest of the world. Um, look at verse uh, chapter four, verse one. Hebrews writer that says, therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let's fear lest anyone of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who enter that rest, as he said, so I swore my wrath, they shall not enter it, speaking of the children of Israel. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has spoken a certain way of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains, some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, today, after such a long time, it's been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden uh, your hearts. 
For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would have not spoken of another day. There therefore remains a rest, a Sabbath rest, literally, for the people of God. We are laboring here in this life, but Jesus Christ is our Sabbath. Jesus Christ is our Sabbath rest. And in the promised rest that we have coming, in the promised rest that we have in the life to come, that's the time that we get to lay down our tools, lay down our labor, lay down our work here in this life, and go to be at rest in Him. All the way back from the very beginning, God said, this is the day, and it was an expectation. And can you imagine those Jews as they look forward? Can you imagine? Well, us as Christians, we look forward to Sunday, I hope. And we think about the time when we're going to be together as a Christian family, and we look for the time that we can be together and worship, and it ought to be something we look forward to. But these Jews knew that the Sabbath was the time that they laid down their tools, they put down their, their gardening stuff, they put down their, their farming equipment, and they spent time together worshiping God because that's what God wanted. But it points to us having this ultimate rest that's fulfilled in Jesus Christ whenever it is that he comes back and gives rest from our labors to his own. A couple of applications this morning before we uh, finish up. Timeless principles in Genesis chapter 1. Number 1, God is sovereign above all creation. God is sovereign above all creation. He is of a different substance. He is a different uh, um, nature than anything physical. When Jesus spoke in John 4, verse 24, he said, God is spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God sits outside of this physical existence that we live in. He is sovereign. He's the one when he speaks, creation bends its will, which also leads us to this point. God's word is authoritative. God's word is authoritative. <coughs> Whenever God speaks, creation moves. When God says, the physical elements respond. But God's authoritative word still remains authoritative. But what's the only being that he's created that has commands that he can choose or not to choose to follow? It's you and me. Doesn't make God's word any less authoritative. God speaks. He expects it to be done. But as God has created in each one of us a free will, I can choose to listen to God's word and reap the blessings of what he says, or I can deny his will and suffer the punishment for not obeying. But God's word is no less authoritative just because I choose not to follow it. All authority, Jesus said, has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Matthew 28, verse 18. If Jesus has all authority, what does that say about his word? Well, John 12, verse 48 to 50, Jesus said, um, if anyone uh, rejects me, receives not the word that I've spoken, the same 
word will judge him in the last day. You're going to suffer the consequence if it is that you choose not to be obedient to the words of Jesus. God's word is authoritative. Also this, God is a God of order and not chaos. God is a God of order and not chaos. The purpose why he commanded what he commanded in the New Testament, the purpose why God spoke to mankind in a special way and the things that he said, folks, you ever thought about this, that it's because God knows how better to order our lives than we do ourselves? That God knows that if we don't do the things that he says, we might be able to exist for a little while, but ultimately it's going to lead us to lives of disorder and chaos. We have parents that choose not to listen to God's word about how to discipline children and how to take care of them and how to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You know, it may get along for a little while, but what's ultimately going to happen when those children begin to rebel and begin to uh, not talk to mom or dad the way that they ought to or begin to treat and mistreat other people, you're going to find a lot of chaos and a lot of disorder that's brought to that home because of a lack of bringing a life into subjection to the will of God. The purpose why God commanded us the things that he did in the New Testament is because he knew this was the best way for a man to live his life under the direction of uh, a timeless God who created all and understands how we think and understands how we work and says, this is the way that you can live a life that's blessed by God. This is the way that you can live the abundant life, as Jesus said in John 10, verse 10. God did that for our good. God didn't do that just to be a divine killjoy. And if we look at that, we're looking at it with the wrong perspective. God is a God of order, not chaos. God is also a God of creative power. Creative. Have you ever stood in awe of God and whatever profession that you're in and just the order and the amazing diversity of things that he's created? We've got a cute little Boston Terrier puppy. He is, you look at him and you think, <laughs> he's just adorable, you know? And as you're looking at this dog and his beautiful brown eyes and the way that it is that he, he functions and the way that he looks at you whenever he cocks his head, just, uh, it makes you go, aw. And you, that's one thing. But just the way that he's put together is amazing, creatively amazing. There are things in life, different kinds of fish. You know, I'm a fish keeper, and I'm, I'm amazed at all the different varieties every time I go to the pet store of all these different type of the same species, but that are just beautiful because of the way that they're shaped or the coloration or um, the, the, the way that the structure is or, or whatever it is. You know, God could have made just one type of fish, brown, gray, but he choose to, chose to do these things to where they can have different colors and have different shapes. Now look at all of us, the diversity of people that are just here in this room. And when your children are young and you're looking at them and thinking, here is somebody who is created in the image of mom and dad. <laughs> I think the youth call Aaron little Andy. And he's, 
he runs around the house and says, Daddy, you know I'm little Andy. <laughs> I know that too well. I know that too well. But you, amazing that God has created this world and made it beautiful. You know, go, if you've never really noticed or you forget those things, there's times that we ought to just go and escape to the wilderness or escape to places like the Grand Canyon where you can appreciate the natural beauty of the world that God created because he made it beautiful for us to look at. You know, when We'll look at Genesis 2, but when God created woman, he knew woman would be attractive to that man's eyes. He knew that she would be a thing of beauty for that man to behold. God did that creatively. And again, he made us all different, but creatively beautiful. Number five, God loves man in a special way above his creation. We refer back to Psalm 8, God crowned man above all creation, above all uh, his creatures that he created here on this earth. <coughs> crowned him with glory and honor. Again, to go back to Hebrews, Hebrews is going to use that passage in Hebrews chapter 2 to talk about Jesus and about how uh, God crowned him in a special way, about how God gave him dominion over everything. But, folks, God made us special. I think that's something our youth need to hear. I think that's something that we need to hear. People that struggle with self-doubt and struggle with image problems and not feeling like they're inherently beautiful, especially with our media these days and, and the way that it glamorizes sex appeal and, and beautiful people. Listen, you're beautiful whether this world says you are or not because that's the way God created you. You're special because that's the way God created you. And all of these things that you can learn from Genesis chapter 1 and just looking deeply at this text ought to give us hope and ought to give us a reason to praise God with a loud voice this morning in worship. I hope this is that this class has whetted your appetite, uh, so to speak, for worship. And I hope it is that um, you appreciate the things that God has revealed about his nature and about the way that he's made us here from Genesis chapter 1. Thank you for your attention this morning, and uh, we'll begin worship here in just a few minutes.